Thank you all for being here this morning, and I guess thanks to Wade for leading that song, What Do I Have to Dread, before I get up to speak. Maybe, hopefully there's not anything to dread, but hopefully I can help us think about some things that would be helpful for us as we strive to live for God. We're all interested, or at least all should be interested in, teaching and converting others. But it's quite an intimidating task, isn't it? It's quite a large and daunting task to think about finding others to teach and convert. And as we think about that task, we often try to make that task easier by looking for the perfect candidate. The candidate who has a good and honest heart, who's already living a pretty good life already, wouldn't have to change much, but we know from experience that those candidates are hard to find. We've talked in the past about the folly of trying to find those candidates and weeding out the ones we think are not good candidates because if we did things like that, we wouldn't have taught the Apostle Paul, we wouldn't have taught Simon the Sorcerer, we wouldn't have taught a lot of other people. But we're trying to find someone that we think would be responsive to the gospel. What if we could come up with a technique in teaching the lost that would handle the worst case scenario? When we're preparing for things, we often like to prepare for the worst case. Maybe you're packing for a trip. You don't know how many clothes you ought to take, what things you ought to go. Maybe you're going camping. And so you plan for the worst case so that anything less than that, you're covered. You're good. What if we had a worst case scenario for preaching the gospel to the lost? Imagine if we had a technique that was good at teaching and converting the really bad folks in our society. If it worked on the really bad folks, then chances are it'd work on those that were less than really, really bad, wouldn't it? Maybe it'd work on our family, on our co-workers, on our neighbors, on those that we care about. Along those lines, what if we had a technique for teaching the gospel that was so effective that it even work on a hardened criminal? What if we could find a way to touch the heart and reach the heart of someone who was maybe even on death row? Would you be interested in finding out about a technique like that? Certainly that'd be worst case, wouldn't it? If I had a technique that I knew would work on someone even on death row, then I ought to be able to use that on anyone. Would you be surprised to know that such a technique exists today? A teaching method that works even on hardened criminals has been developed and it has proven results and it's been around for about 2,000 years. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we'll see a conversion of a hardened criminal on death row, that criminal being one of the thieves that hung on a cross next to Jesus some 2,000 years ago. Luke chapter 23, verse 33, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mock him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. 
And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This hardened criminal, this thief, was responsive to the gospel. And we want to look this morning at how we could convert the thief. First off, as we think about converting those who are wicked, we need to show them the consequences of their sins. Before we can convince a smoker to quit smoking, we need to convince them of the danger of that practice. Before we can get motivated to start an exercise program, we need to be convinced of the dangers of living an inactive lifestyle, don't we? How many of us have been motivated to start a diet because we maybe saw a picture of us from an unflattering angle? Or maybe decided we needed a haircut because... We saw ourselves in the mirror. We're not convinced to act until we see how bad things are, the consequences of the state that we live in. And the same is true for us spiritually. Until we convince people that they are sinners, we have no hope of motivating them to change. Why would they bother? And that's one of the problems with this come-as-you-are movement in the religious world today, where we try and convince people, well, you just need to start coming to church. You don't need to change anything. Just come to church and everything will be fine. People that buy into that line of thinking aren't ever converted, are they? And never become true Christians because they've not been convinced of their sin and their state. We'll never have the success in converting people until they see that the way that they are living will ruin their life and cause them to be lost eternally in hell. The thief was convinced of this in Luke chapter 23, verses 40 and 41 as we read. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. The thief hanging there on that cross knew why he was being punished, didn't he? He knew exactly why he was going to die. He understood why he was being punished, and he feared God as a result of that. If we're going to convert sinners today, we need to convince them of their sin. Peter used this approach on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This thing is going wild on me here. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Peter's not mincing words here, is he? He's showing the people the terrible condition they find themselves in. And and it goes on in verse 36. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I envisioned, if I had been in that crowd, my stomach dropping to my feet as Peter laid out the terrible acts that I had committed and the condition that I found myself in. 
I would be compelled to beg, what must I do because of this terrible condition I'm in? If we want people to be converted, we need to have that same direct approach. We need to convince people of their sin. But yet, that's not politically correct these days, is it? Oh, we don't want to be too hard on sin. We don't want people to feel bad or feel uncomfortable. No, if we're going to convert people, we need to convince them of their sins. Notice the result in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. They that gladly, gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added to them about 3,000 souls. See, it works. When you convince people of their sins, it works. They're motivated to respond to the gospel. Paul used similar approaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Notice this. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul was convicting people of what a terrible condition they would find themselves in if they weren't living like God would have them to. People today don't want to mention the fact that God will punish sinners. In fact, it's untasteful in many denominations today to even talk about hell. That God would send people to hell and punish them eternally for their sins. And yet that is how Paul approached the subject when he's trying to convince other people to change and to live differently. If you don't straighten up, if you don't live like God wants you to live, you're going to go to hell, Paul said. And if we want people to be changed today, we need to convince them of their sin. The thief on the cross saw very plainly and very clearly the consequences of his sin. We need other people to understand that today as well. Furthermore, if we want to convict and convert a thief, we need to show him the example of a pure life. Once we convict people of their sins, once we convince them that they're sinners, we need to show them how they should live. Otherwise, we're just convicting them of their sins and leaving them there. We've got to show them how they ought to live. The thief knew how he should be living by looking at Christ. Back in Luke chapter 23, verse 41. Luke 23, verse 41, the thief says, We indeed justly, or they're being punished justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. He could look at Christ, and he could see a man there living like he should live. And as he laid his life next to Christ, and he saw the terrible condition that he was in as a result of sin, he could see Christ and see how he should have been living his life. Imagine if Christ had been a hypocrite. What would the thief have learned about from Christ then? The thief would probably have joined in with the other thief in ridiculing Christ, wouldn't he? If Christ had been a hypocrite, not living like he was telling others to live, then that thief would have probably joined in and started mocking Christ, and he probably should have mocked Christ if Christ had been a hypocrite. But instead, he could look at Christ and see how he should have lived. And how can we have any hope of converting the world if we're not any different than them? If they can't look at us and see how they should live, how can we have any hope of converting the world? What if Christ had been out drinking with his apostles the night before he hung on the cross? And those thieves could smell the alcohol on Christ. Do you think that Christ would have had any hope of converting that thief? What if Christ had cursed the soldiers as they hung him up on that cross, as other convicts no doubt did? Would he have had any hope of converting that thief? We're commanded to live like Christ lived so we can have the same effect 
on our fellow man. Notice here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Perhaps we're not being as effective converting lost sinners today because we're not living the pure lives we should be living before them. And a lot of people want to live like the world, want to go along with the world, and then want to have some hope of converting the world. They have some vision that they might be able to convert the world while they live like the world. You ever heard anyone say, well, I know it's wrong to dance, but I'm going to go to the prom so I'll have a chance to be an influence on the people that are there. How can we be an influence on people when we're living like them? Or maybe I'm going to go to the party, but I'm not going to drink and do drugs. I want to go to the party and be a good example to those around me. How can I be a good example when I'm engaged in the same, same things that they're doing? If we're not living like we should, if we're not living pure lives, we can have little hope of converting the lost. Christ converted the thief because he showed them, showed him the example of how he should live by living a pure life. We convert a thief by convicting them of their sins, showing them the consequences of their sins, showing them a pure life, how they should live. We also convert a thief by showing him resolve in the face of persecution. If we want others to live like we live, we need them to know that we're committed to what we're doing. That we're 100% committed. In the vernacular of today, we might, they might, we might say that we need to show them that we're sold out. That we're totally sold on this idea of living like we should live. That we're not going to waver. It doesn't matter what comes our way, what kind of persecution, what type of difficulty, we're not going to waver one inch. Notice Jesus' resolve in Luke 23 as we read verse 34 beginning. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, this chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. What would have been the effect on the thieves if Jesus had started to waver at this point? It would have cast doubt on everything Jesus had been preaching, everything that he had been saying. If Jesus had folded, had given in it any bit along the way here. If we want to convert others, we need to show them that we are totally resolved. No matter what challenge, what difficulty, what persecution may come our way, we're not wavering. We're committed to living the way that we have been proclaiming. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul had the same resolve. Paul was unwavering in the face of the persecution that he was enduring, and notice the effect it had on others. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, But I would you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
The way that Paul handled his challenges, the way that Paul faced persecution, had an effect on those who witnessed it. And the same is true for us. The way that we live our lives in the face of difficulties will have an effect on those who are around us. We convert a thief by showing him resolve in the face of persecution. And then finally, this morning, I want to tell you that you convert a thief by showing him love for others. Jesus' example of love for others from the cross had to have been notable, especially from the viewpoint of the thief. The thief had been concerned only about himself throughout his life, hadn't he? If he saw something that somebody else had that he thought he might like, he took it. If he needed something else, he stole it. He didn't care about the people that were around him. He had no love or concern for them. And so he's hanging on that cross and he's going to die for that. And he could look over at Jesus. And he could see Jesus, how he lived. And how he's even blessing the ones who were in the act of killing him. In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, while others are mistreating him, has love and concern for those who are doing it. Certainly, all those who are around Jesus would have to stop and take note of that. But I think especially this thief would a stark contrast to the way that he had lived his life. Imagine if Jesus had shown bitterness or hatred. What if Jesus had expressed a desire for those to get what they've got coming to them. What if Jesus had said, you know, I wish that uh, I could get a piece of you. I'd give you a piece of my mind. He'd have been just like anyone else, wouldn't he? There'd been nothing notable about him in the thief's eye. But the thief, no doubt, as he saw that, was moved by Jesus' love for uh, for others. You know, the same is true for us. Others will notice how we act and how we love those who are around us. In fact, Jesus said it is a mark that non-Christians would use to identify us as followers of Christ. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus said you need to love one another, not just any old love, we're to love others like Christ loved us, meaning there's no bounds, there's no limit to the love that I should have for my fellow man. And Jesus said, by this, others will know that we are His disciples. Others are watching us, aren't they? Others observe how we treat our fellow man. And the way that we treat our fellow man will have an effect on them. It had an effect, no doubt, on that thief on the cross. And it'll have effect on our fellow man. If we don't love our brethren, and we don't love our fellow man, then we're no different than the world around us, are we? If we show hatred to those we're around, we're no different. If we show bitterness, we're no different. If we don't show concern, if we don't serve those that are around us, at the very best, if we live a life like that, we're no better than the world, and maybe we're even worse than some of those who are around us, who have that 
concern for their fellow man even though they're not following Christ. No doubt, we see some examples here of how to have an impact on those who are around us. By Jesus, as He's dying there on the cross, the impact He had on that thief. He showed the thief the consequences of his sins. He showed them an example of his pure life. He showed resolve in the face of persecution and showed him love for others. We need to imitate it in our lives. And if we'll imitate it, no doubt we'll have a remarkable effect on those who are around us. And we'll bring others to Christ. What about you this morning? How are you living? Are you living that pure life? If you're not, you need to be. You need to be living a pure life, not only for your own sake, but for those around you. Others around you encouraged to live better because they see how you're living? Because they see your resolve in the face of conflict? Because they see your love for others? Because they see that you're committed to living a pure life, that you're going to be unspotted by the world that's around you? Are others encouraged to live better because of you? What about those that you love the most? What about your husband or your wife? What about your children? Do they look at you and say, you know, that's how I need to live my life because of how they're living? Of all the people in the world that we want to convert, it's our children, isn't it? Can they see us living the life that would cause them to want to be Christians? If you're here this morning and you're not living like you should, if you won't do it for yourself, will you do it for your family? Will you do it for your children? They desperately need that in your life. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one now. And if you've been living in a way that you shouldn't, you need to make a correction to it. You need to do it right now. If we can help you, will you come while we stand and sing?